Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. And again, we work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team since 2018. And Stacy, we got some news coming out of Washington this past <laughs> week. So believe it or not, they actually are talking about doing something. Let's see if it actually happens. So our first segment here, a lot of news coming out of Washington and President Biden um, about his latest executive order. So this came, th- this all dropped about two, three weeks ago where um, President Biden signed an executive order outlining 72 initiatives that the White House wants to address, including one in particular that could impact licensing and continuing ed requirements on a national basis. And re- really what this particular piece of the order, because we're not going to go through all 72. We don't have time for that. Right. Um, <laughs> be here all day. So the, the order is designed to eliminate or reduce overly restrictive occupational licensing requirements that can impede workers' ability to find jobs and move in between states. And... You know, when, when what they're talking about here specifically are real estate licenses and the ability to have reciprocity from state to state. So um, right now, the, I mean, they interviewed a, an agent who's licensed in seven different states. I can't and, imagine that. Well, I, it, well we'll talk about this okay. because I, I th- there, there's definitely some issues there. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so um, what, what what basically he says is that He's licensed in all these different states, and he takes the same exam in Florida and Massachusetts and et cetera. And the, the whole idea here is, should you be able to take your real estate license from a state like Pennsylvania over to, over to New Jersey, down to Florida, out to California, wherever, is, is, this, is this a good idea? I mean, I've, uh, you know, that, that's the big question here because, I mean, I, I would imagine there's probably some challenges. So do you think national... Real estate license reciprocity is a great idea or good idea from state to state to state. Again, it's I think it's situational because we live in a tri-state area or quad state area. So in that aspect where, you know, I'm in southern Chester County, which just borders into Delaware and Delaware is a small state. So that being said, um, I could utilize a license in Delaware pretty effectively. So that would come in handy if uh, I had that opportunity. I mean, I do. I can get my license in Delaware. But the national uh, reciprocity uh, would come into play there. Now, I I don't know. I got mixed feelings about this because anything that uh, is a national undertaking, kind of, (laughs) it can go, you know, sideways real quickly. And implementation of something of that magnitude um, could also be long and drawn out. And not only that, I just um, have reservations. I know that just dealing on a local state level, sometimes there's issues in getting things completed and um, follow up, things like that. I can't imagine on a national level if uh, there were issues, and of course there would be issues, you know that. Sure. Um, There's definitely going to be issues. <laughs> so that is that kind of scares me in that sense. Uh, so, you know, I got mixed feelings about this. Um, 
I know that some people are really, really into it. They think it's going to be a great idea. Um, it would just be helpful. Again, the other aspect is, do you want somebody who's licensed, say, in Massachusetts and doesn't know anything about the North Carolina market um, servicing clients there? You know, that's kind of why we have sure. referrals. Well, I, so you bring up a, a great point. So, and, and I think there, there's a couple questions that come along with this. Is it a good idea? Um, what this means, what's best for the client. So let, let's hit on the good idea first. And it, there, there are areas where this would probably make sense. Um, for example, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland. Mm-hmm. They all kind of bleed in together. I mean, that, that's an area that's almost the, the same area, if you will, and, and you see a lot of agents that are licensed in all three. Uh, you have to evaluate how the states do business because I'm clear that Pennsylvania is drastically different than New Jersey, even though... We're, what, 20 minutes from Jersey right now, sitting yep. here at the at the Ballot-Kimwood Studios. So th- that's a big challenge. The The contracts are drastically different. There's an attorney review in New Jersey, which we don't have in Pennsylvania. And then even northern Jersey is different than southern Jersey and just standard operating procedures. So that that's one thing to consider here. Secondly, I see this as a logistical nightmare, uh, meaning, you know, w- well, are the agents going to know the contracts properly in all the different states? There's enough of a challenge now with agents that only practice in Pennsylvania understanding the Pennsylvania contract. And these are people that have done tens, hundreds of deals, have been doing business for 10, 20, 30 years. That, that's an issue. Uh, so in, in theory, yeah, it should be easy to transfer from one state to another. For an agent to be licensed in 50 different states or... 10 different states or, you know, whatever the limitation here is, I I think it's a good idea in concept, but there's practice and what's best for the consumer. And that's to me where the challenges come from. I mean, I I don't know what you think on that. And we'll get into that in a second. So that that's number one. I think secondly, uh, you know, the, the, the states all have different laws, right? So there's really three different levels of reciprocity. There's full reciprocity, um, which would mean that an out of state agent, uh, is allowed to enter another state and carry out real estate business. Then there's the partial reciprocity where we'll work with certain states or we won't work with certain states. And then there's no reciprocity, right? So Pennsylvania is a partial state, um, as is, uh, and, and New Jersey is a no reciprocity state, just to take those two. Uh, Delaware is a full reciprocity state, right? Maryland is a partial one. So just to kind of look at around here and you know, you can get your Maryland real estate license by filling out a form if you're licensed in Pennsylvania. It doesn't quite work that way with some of these other states. So, you know, there, there's already enough variation here where the majority are partial or none. I mean, there's only, what, four, eight, there's only 12 or 13 states that are that are full reciprocity. So, you know, I, there has to be some sort of control. And there, there already is a national exam. That was one mm-hmm. of the things in the article they talked about. There's a national exam for real estate. There's the national and the state. So if you're going to do this, why not just have one national exam and then have the state-by-state state exam? That probably makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, that, that definitely would make the most sense. Keep the national portion, um, but definitely you can do the state-to-state. State. That that would be probably the most effective way to um, do something like this as far as being able to practice in different states uh, relatively quickly, you know, ramping up. Um, but, yeah, I think, again, you're going to have lovers and haters of this. <laughs> it's going to be one side or the other. Um, 
there's a lot to look at, though, because if it's an executive order, it that could present an issue further in the future. So that executive order at some time could be overturned. It could be, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this you know, a new president gets elected in three years. Who knows what happens? So right. I mean, it, it, the whole thing here is that. I like the idea in concept. I I think it makes sense to be able to, if you move somewhere else, go become a real order there and pass the appropriate state test. I don't don't really see the system as being that broken right now, in in my view. I mean, there's a lot of people that will be licensed in multiple states. Uh, And, and, you know, what what I see here is that, you know, coming from the Biden administration, there's been some significant legislation coming out of there around business where they're talking about eliminating non-competes and it looks like they're trying to make it easier for people to go work in other states. I mean, that, that that's my overall view here. And that's probably what this means. Mm-hmm. What do you think is best for the consumer here? To me, this is the biggest concern out of all this stuff. I mean, and, and not only, and just plus navigating like the state departments and the state real estate commissions and all, which, which is a logistical nightmare. It's the same problems as a national MLS versus local. Mm-hmm. What do you think this means for the consumer? What's best for the consumer? Well, I would think that somebody local that knows the local real estate market where that consumer is would probably be the best fit for the consumer. Um, I think that if you're getting out of your territory, I know personally how I feel. If I'm out of my territory, I don't feel like I can mm-hmm. be effective and, and to the be you know to help the the consumer as best as somebody who knows the market. And that is here, like in Philly. I don't know the Philadelphia mm-hmm. city market. Of There's course, yeah. People on our team that know it very well. So um, I can't imagine going into a different state and trying to be effective to the consumer there. So I think what's best for the consumer would be a local uh, agent at that point. So that that that's the big issue I see with this mm-hmm. is that you know someone coming from even let's say they're coming from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. they don't know the Philadelphia area market. Um, I mean, maybe they do. But there's a lot of issues that come up with this. One is, are they going to be able to access the MLS? That's one thing, because a lot of realtors are cheap, and they don't want to spend the money to get access to the right thing. So that's the first issue I see. Mm -hmm. Um, The second challenge I see is that the local knowledge, like knowing that homes on this side of Route 30 sell for more than the other Mm -hmm. side of Route 30, which is something that agents kind of tend to to learn and know. And that's where the consumer is probably going to get hurt the most. Mm-hmm. Is the lack of local knowledge. So, um, so you know, w- with knowing that real estate's very local, where there's even a difference. You look at, you know, so you, you're out in Downingtown, right? Mm-hmm. There's what five, six different townships in Downingtown. Yes, they're all a little they're different, all different, right? Yes, Westchester's the same way. Mm-hmm. Lower Marion Township. I mean, they don't. It, it just it's um it's one township, but like all the different cities are a little different. You have to know what's going on. Um, so, you know, be, because of that, you know, that to me is where the consumer can get hurt the most. And then secondly, what if they don't know the laws that well? Mm-hmm. What if they don't know what the agreement of sale says, what the deadlines are, which is a big issue for people that already practice real estate in these areas. That to me is even a bigger challenge because if you don't know how to navigate the transaction and you don't know what your deadlines are, what the obligations are, what the state laws say, that's where this becomes a major challenge because the states are never going to have all the same laws across all 50 states. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. And you know, even like transfer tax, right? 
Right. You yes. talk, we have out-of-state lenders. What happens with them a lot of times? Yeah, they, they don't understand the transfer tax in our area. Yeah, and it's different everywhere. It's different everywhere. In New Jersey, the seller pays the whole thing. Mm-hmm. In Pennsylvania, it says it's split. So my concern there is that people are getting bad information, mm-hmm. and maybe they think they can't afford a home when they can, or they can't afford a home when they can't because the people don't know what goes on locally. So th- there's a lot of issues with this. From an implementation standpoint, from what's best for the consumer, and from a just just you know how how to get all these laws straight. So you're making this decision, Stacy, and your decision is to say yes or say no. What would you do and why? Well, after discussing all of these details, uh, I would say no because of the very fact that I do believe it's not to the best interest of the consumer. I think local market is is just that it's local and everywhere in different pockets it's so incredibly different even in in the microcosm of of local. So you have to be well versed on the area as an agent so that you can give the best guidance and the best advice to your clients. Sure. And and so I I agree with you there that the, the local knowledge is a major major issue. That that's the first component. Mm-hmm. The second component I see is that I, I don't I don't understand how you I mean there you know to, even a lawyer they have to be uh, a member of the bar in different states right Correct. and it's yes. not usually you don't see a lot of crossover usually it's like maybe Pennsylvania Jersey and Delaware or or something like that so I, I don't like the idea of this when the alternative to me is, and the alternative here is great and I, I I'm clear this is probably the best thing to do is find someone local mm-hmm. and refer them the business refer, I mean I, I don't understand why this is such an issue. Uh, because you know, just passing an exam doesn't guarantee an agent can adequately represent a client in an area where they haven't lived or done business, or somewhere where they used to live and they don't know the local trends. Um, and the best agents know when to say, "Hey, I'm not the right person for the job," and they refer that business out to someone who's their peer, or in the same position, or is doing the same amount of business as they are in in another state in another area. So, to me. That's what's best for the consumer. Find the local expert with a track record and put them in touch with them rather than trying to grab a piece of business. And, and this is the classic example of a realtor putting their interest ahead of their clients, which you're not supposed to do in the code of ethics. It says you're not supposed to do that. So I do not like this idea. I'm, I'm clear this, is a, this would be a bad decision for real estate in particular. Not, not saying if someone relocates, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that happen all the time. I, I don't, but th- this, this could open a can of worms here, and there's a lot of unintended consequences. I see that as <laughs> that would be the main thing that would happen with this. There would be those unintended consequences. People that would, um, uh, you know, take advantage of this and uh, work against the system the way it's supposed to be, <clears throat> and uh, it could definitely cause a lot more problems than what it would be worth. But yeah, we can re- we do refer out. We, we utilize that a lot in our business um, because if people are relocating to different markets, they, they want to buy a, a vacation home somewhere south, we use referrals. A hundred percent. And those agents typically do a great job. Mm-hmm. They're trusted. They know the market, no matter where they are. I mean, even in New Jersey, we refer that out because mm-hmm. We don't. We are not equipped to handle that, and that that's okay. I don't. I mean, you. You know, if it's on, if it's on the other side of the river, we got a great agent we refer you to. I don't. I wouldn't know what to tell them. I, I know like some of the towns over there, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, f- let's face it, we're in a, the fifth largest metro market in the country. Knowing that market alone, and you know, understanding Chester, Delaware, Montgomery counties, and Philadelphia, that's a lot of knowledge to begin with, right there. Let alone 
another state, another set of laws. And I always find the generalist typically isn't the person you want advising you in these large transactions. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> yep. All right. So we're we're full no go on the uh, on, on on this now. I, I thumbs down. So what do you think is going to happen though? I mean, do you, do, you, do you like? I mean, do you think these states are going to all of a sudden change their reciprocity laws? I mean, what what do you, are they? I mean, do you think it's actually going to go that far, or you know, what, what does that look like? Honestly, I don't think it's going to go that far. Um, I think there's a lot more pressing issues that uh, that the states are going to be dealing with. Um, so I don't think it's going to go that far. Uh, even if it starts, it would. It's going to take a long time. These these things. It's like a, trying to get a big train moving along the tracks. Sure. Um, so it, it does take forever. Nothing is quick when it comes to state and especially national, federal um, implementations. So I, I really don't think it's going to go anywhere. I agree on this. Um, so I, I got another question here before we break, and I think this is probably a more pressing one. So knowing that this is happening and knowing some of the disruption that's happening in real estate right now where there's these other people trying to become brokerages and, I mean, large companies trying to, 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 to come into the marketplace, do you think this would have an effect on those – Zillow's one of them, right? Like they're, they're talking about becoming a brokerage. They're hiring licensed agents. To me, this is exactly why real estate agents still have a place in, in, in at the table. They have a place to do business because you need that local knowledge as long as you understand everything. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with that NAR DOJ lawsuit that agents need they, they need to be the knowledge broker right now. So to me, this is all the more reason to double down on understanding the market, becoming a student of the market rather than just opening the door and trying to collect a few checks here and there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And as you were mentioning about um, where could this go with the, those tech companies, the tech brokerage firms, mm-hmm. um, maybe this is part of that, them expanding and expansion. Well, maybe they're lo- lobbying the government <laughs> to pass this stuff. Right, I mean, this, this right. is how things work, yeah. right? And, and so that, that, that's a really good point. And that may be, maybe they have friends in the, you know, the White House or they're paying lobbyists. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all political navigation here. And unfortunately, that's how the world works right now. What I'm clear on is that if you're an agent out there and you're listening, or you're a consumer, find someone who knows the market, and this is for consumers, find someone who knows the market you want to purchase in. Mm -hmm. Make sure they understand that market and they understand the process. And for the agent, if you can't articulate your value, you better get to work and practice all these things, do your research, know the trends, because people want advice. They don't want these vanilla non-answers that a lot of folks tend to give them. So... That, that to me is going to be the, that, that's what's going to keep real estate agents out there. And that's why I'm, I'm also clear we're going to see a big decline in real estate agents as inventory continues to ramp up. Mm-hmm. I agree. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break here. And again, if you got questions, email us. It's info at tooltimeradio.com. When we come back, there was an article that dropped on Yahoo Finance that said the global housing boom prices look very overvalued. We're going to dig in. We're going to see if this is nonsense or not. Next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. 
Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. And again, we work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and in Delaware since 2018. So what we want to chat about next this article came out on Yahoo Finance. Um, Brian Sozi wrote it. He's the anchor and editor-at-large, whatever that means. Came out on the 22nd, so last week. And the headline is, Beware of the Latest Global Housing Boom. And he goes on to say, The global housing market has gotten too hot to be sustained, according to the Oxford Economics deep dive into 121 years plus of housing data. And he continues... That home prices in advanced economies may be about 10% overvalued compared to long term, compared to the long term, according to the Oxford Economics lead economist Adam Slater. And this boom is one of the biggest since 1900. The last piece of data here, and then we'll talk about it, is that the last boom period in 2006 saw home prices 13 to 15% overvalued. Based on the analysis, and students of market history remember what came next, a global financial crisis fueled by rampant speculation in the global housing market. A lot to unpack here. This is just the start. Yes. What do you think here, Stacey? <laughs> uh, well, the last boom period in 2006, that the home prices were rising 13 to 15%, mm-hmm. um, that was fueled by... Uh, some unscrupulous lending practices. So we're not experiencing that in this market today. Agreed. So um, did they make mention of that in this article? I'm trying to scan down to see. But so that that's one they, point They right did not, there. to okay. be very clear. So that's one point right there. They have to clarify that. That wasn't clarified. It just leads you to believe that we're heading in that direction, um, create the, you know, the fear in people because um, I get asked that on a daily basis mostly mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that the housing market's going to crash um, so I have to go into and explain why that's not going to happen so yeah I think there is a lot to unpack here from the 1900s okay so we'll, we'll look at this though so I mean they don't they don't mention the reason behind the boom which mm-hmm. we all know there was very bad lending going on where they basically like no doc loans mm-hmm. No income, stated income, where you could basically say you made whatever you want 
mm-hmm. and that would be how they how they do this. So that that that's number one. Um, you know, and and what the article goes on to say is that there is evidence that suggests the longer a housing boom continues, the bigger the risk of a large reversal. And you know, this is global, so I you know I can't really speak to like Europe or Asia or these other continents. Looking at some of the individual economies, risk indicators showed a varied picture. And the riskiest markets look to be the Netherlands, Canada, Sweden, Germany, and France. So the U.S. is not mentioned there. Mm-hmm. And here was, the, here was the biggest point, though. And this is the thing that they, they, didn't, they didn't go deep enough on. Sharp rises in house prices are more worrying if accompanied by rapid increases in housing debt and leverage. Mm. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago with David Childers from Keeping Current Matters, who their, their mission is to help people stay informed about the housing market. Mm-hmm. Right now, according to CoreLogic, 38.2% of all the homes in the country, they've got no mortgage. That's almost, a big number. That's, that's almost 40%, mm-hmm. more than a third. Mm-hmm. The average equity in mortgaged homes is $216,000. Another big number. Significant. Mm -hmm. And there was a 19.6% increase in equity through the first quarter. And so those three data points right there, even though they're saying, well, there's a big concern because there's a rapid increase in debt and leverage, a lot of these folks that are buying homes right now, they're coming with heftier down payments than they have in the past because of the decreased inventory levels, because of the competitive nature of the marketplace where, you know, FHA and VA buyers, they get turned away in a lot of cases because they're going low down and there's appraisal challenges. Um, so that that's one important thing to, to note here that they say, I mean, if, if, if people were leveraging debt, that's what would have happened in 2000. That's what happened in 2006. Correct. I mean, I mean they were, people were taking equity out of their homes. They're spending it on like big screen TVs and all sorts of dumb things. You're laughing. This is true. I know. Uh, I, 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 I mean, totally the money agree. went somewhere, yes, right? it did. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that's important to note that people are more responsible with their money than they have been in the past. And I, I think that is a very important point to discuss here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, you know, what, what they go on to say is that the rapid rise in prices since the 1970s coincided with a very large increase in the share of mortgage credit in the GDP, which went from 20 to 60 percent. And some of the biggest housing booms were preceded by rapid credit growth. Well, we're not seeing that here. We're seeing rapid equity growth, which I, I'm clear is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of qualifies it, right? Like this is the classic like big headline right. article, but then I'm going to give you the real news and it's actually the exact opposite of the headline um, where the current housing boom looks less worrying on this score and growth in mortgage credit has been subdued, although it started to pick up lately, uh, but it's below its 2008 peak. So... You know, th- that alone to me is, is, is pretty important. So, you know, knowing that there is a lot of growth in pricing, I mean, wh- wh- you know, what does this mean for the market? I mean, seeing this kind of rhetoric come out, what are we seeing for the second half of the year? Because I don't know that people should be beware, whatever that means. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in agreement with the article here. I'm not in agreement with the article. Um, and you do have to dig down deeper to get to the bottom line, which less worrying on this score. <laughs> so that's it. That's what we're going to see in the second half is um, we're going to continue to see the inventory to increase slightly, which is going to be great for the buyers. So for buyers, there's going to be more opportunity. 
And what I'm seeing currently is more opportunity. There's houses that might not be going as quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll always have those homes that go in two days. That You'll always have those. But Any I'm, market. Totally agree right, with you. Right. But I'm seeing things seven days, you know, 10 days. You actually have time to get your buyers in and, you know, possibly put an offer together with little or possibly no competition. So, um, and even to the point where you, it's a possibility you can elect your inspections. So there is a lot of opportunity that I'm personally seeing now. Um, so I, I really think it's going to continue that way through the end of the year. Opportunity is a great word because we've seen that inventory ticked up a bit. I mean, it's, it was like a one month supply. Now we're at like 1.2, 1.3 in the suburbs, mm-hmm. two months supply to 2.4, 2.6 in Philadelphia. And I, I, Lawrence Yoon chimes in here at the end. He's the chief economist at NAR, the National Association of Realtors. And he says that ideally the cost of a home would rise in line with income growth, which is likely to happen in 2022 as more listings become available. So, you know, part of this here too, I mean, they're talking about, you're talking about how fast homes sell. Mm -hmm. The thing no one ever talks about is how accelerated decision-making and the market is in general because of technology innovation within real estate. And this, I mean, when a home hits the market, you can get an alert on your phone from 10 different apps if you want. If you're working with an agent, you get a real-time email. Mm -hmm. People are searching constantly online. I mean, it's so so much so that Saturday Night Live came out with a like a joke about how people like Zillow on their phone late night, or they look at Zillow great. late night on their phone. Yep. And you know, this is where it's so. I mean, and, and people are ready to make quick decisions if they have the right advice. Right. So you know, this is a great example of one understanding what's really happening in the market versus what people are saying in the news and what people hear from third parties. Correct. And secondly, knowing the economic data, and that's why. Again, I am clear that real estate agents will always have a place here because the ones that are informed and that know this stuff can give people real information to help them make great decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's a great point to point out that a great time to point out, excuse me, that if you're thinking about getting into real estate and you want that kind of training and education, check out our website, realestatescholarshipprogram.com. And we can we can talk to you about how we train our people up just like we did Stacy and she's selling hundreds of homes now, literally. Do it. It's okay. <laughs> so back to the article here. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see something like this and let's say a client brings it to you and mm-hmm. says, Hey, I sold this article on Yahoo finance. It says, beware of the latest housing boom. Right. What do you tell them as a professional? Right. Um, because I know where this conversation's going they're going to say, well, the market's going to crash. It's not a good time to buy. Everything's overinflated. Um, first of all, we go back to the banking industry back in 2008 and why that happened then and why we're not in that same position now. So that's the first thing I want to try to educate them on. Um, the banks are very solvent. It's harder now to get lent, to get financing than it was back then. 100%. So if you get pre-approved, then you're solid. Um, so that's two big, big points right there that uh, are very, very important for them to understand. And since we had the shutdown, it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's what created this completely different market. We have a pre-COVID market and a post-COVID market. Agreed. Great Uh point. So in the post-COVID market um, where there was all this pent-up demand and when we finally were able to get out there and, and buy and sell homes, 
some people had such a need. I mean, they, it wasn't just because they, they wanted to move. I mean, but there's some true, real need and motivation to move. So uh, once that market opened, I mean, it was just like gangbusters. So that's why the appreciated values, the values increased. Um, but we're, I don't see that we're in any danger. Definitely not to a decline. Things are going to level out and normalize over the next number of years. Mm-hmm. But there's not going to be a major crash. Not only will there not be a major crash, but it, 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 we're returning to a normal market. People have tend to have short memories, and you know this was the, the market was at about a four month supply before the pandemic really kicked in. And last March, we were told, "Hey, realtors, stay home. You're not essential, yep. <laughs> et cetera. We don't need to go through that." And that happened across the country. We were one of the last states. We were the last region, in fact, to be able to do anything. So. You're always going to have these sensational headlines here, and you got to be really careful with this stuff as a consumer. And that's why I wanted to ask Stacy what you know what, what what she's telling clients because this is the message that realtors have an obligation to put out to the public. Mm-hmm. This is something that we as agents we have a responsibility to do. If you don't feel like that's your job, then I kind of question why you're in the business. That's a whole other story. We could talk about that for for hours if you wanted to. That's not the point here. Uh, additionally, what we're kind of we're seeing as well is that Housing Wire. Uh, came out with some data about uh, about four or five days ago that we're starting to see housing inventory slowly coming back. So it f- always feels slower when you're going down the road at 110 miles an hour and you pull back to 90. It's still very fast. Mm-hmm. It just feels slower. And you know, if you look at some NAR data that came out after four consecutive months of decline, um, you know, we saw existing home sales, they jumped up 1.4% from May to June uh, because there's just more inventory coming on the market. Um, sales are still up year over year. Um, and, you know, seeing that nationally we're seeing an unsold housing inventory of a 2.6-month supply, that's up from May's 2.5-month supply. And that's when things started to open up. So mm-hmm. understand there was this time where no one could do anything, then it opened, and we're still ahead of that supply that's a good indicator of why it feels like things are maybe slowing down. We're not going to see 10, 15% growth year over year, every year. Correct. It's going to be more like three to five. That's a normal amount. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be ahead of that this year based on all the predictions we're seeing, kind of that like six, seven, maybe 10% range, depending on what data set you're looking at. So to me, that's equally important to understand that we're seeing housing inventory start to bubble up. And when you said opportunity, this is an opportunity for buyers because mm-hmm. not only are we seeing this housing inventory bubble up, we're seeing people take vacations. Yeah. We're seeing people do different things. Mm-hmm. And they're, we're in that kind of more normal seasonal market, which people forget didn't happen since 2019. I mean, we're going into you know a, a second year of this, and this is the first time we've really seen the market pull back a little bit, maybe besides that like week of Christmas and, and Easter, like that kind of end of December there. Because it's been go, go, go since May 19th in the greater Philadelphia area. That is for sure. No so, so some other data here we want to look at before we take another quick break, and then we'll come back with a final segment on some interesting refinance news. So Matthew Speakman, a Zillow economist, he came out and said, just to kind of go through this article, that the combination of low rates, improving economy, and demographic factors continue to stoke buyer demand and fuel competition – but historic price growth nationwide has weakened some households' ability to afford their next home, and a shortage of available inventory appears to have left some would-be buyers discouraged. What do you say to those people? 
Well, I know that some buyers are discouraged just um, because of the competition. Um, but there is a way. And don't give up because I, I really believe that um, if you continue to go through the process, you will get under contract. You will get your home. Uh, it's well worth it because you're going to be building your generational wealth there. You have to start somewhere. Um, so it it does take a lot of fortitude and grit to get through, yes. but continue with that. Well, and, and you know, you hear the affordability thing and, and something that nobody is talking about right now. And we're going to hit on this as well with what does this mean for mortgages? Even if you're not thinking about buying, you might want to refinance, is that current mortgage rates, they dipped below 3% again last week. And there's some hesitation in the market because of this Delta variant and just people getting nervous about restrictions coming back. Rates went below 3% again. This may be the opportunity to buy that home where you are where you feel, hey, it's a little out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Well, if rates go up, it's definitely out of your comfort zone. And right. I, I don't know that this lasts much longer. To me, this is a quick reaction from you know the, the market and the 10-year T-bill and the yield and all that stuff that's not going to last because there's a lot of news out there right now that this is becoming a problem. And I, I don't I don't see it lasting much longer because all the predictions are rates are going to be back in the threes by the end of the year. I'm so, I'm shocked this happened. This this was pretty intriguing to me. Today we're getting if you look at today's rates, they're quoting them at at two point eight two seven percent. So it's basically two and seven eighths um, on a, on a thirty year fixed. I mean that that's remarkable to me it because is. we haven't seen anything below two since last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would be very mindful of if you're looking. Like uh, you're looking for a home right now, or you're selling, you're, you want to sell your home, but you got to find a new one, and you're discouraged of, do I stay put or do I actually pull the trigger? Mm-hmm. And there's something that's been sitting on the market a little bit. That home is one that is ripe for an offer, totally. meaning not paying the asking price, but maybe make a reasonable offer. Something within a few percentage points of the asking price with contingencies. This mm-hmm. is happening again. So, mm-hmm. what, what are you telling clients right now, knowing where rates are that are maybe giving you that waiting that waiting game or that waiting objection that you hear a lot. Well, especially with where the rates are now. And when I work with buyers and I actually show them what it's going to cost them to get into a home and what their monthly payments are and they have a better understanding of the breakdown of the numbers, mm-hmm. they're they're so excited because they realize, "Oh my gosh, we can afford this." Um, they might have, you know, some distorted thoughts about if the rates tick up too much, they really can't afford it. But when you break down the numbers and you show it to them, they realize we got to get in now. We have to uh, try to make this move. Rents continue to climb, and that's a fact, and they will always continue to climb. So there's no time like now to get in uh, to the housing market. Um, as far as sellers, working with sellers, and they're, they get frustrated trying to get into their next home and they're kind of afraid to make that move, you know, putting their house on the market because they don't have anywhere else to go. Uh, what I tell them is look for other opportunities, what you can do in the interim. Because uh, you'd be surprised at what's available to you and what's out there. And also, you can, if you list your home and it goes under contract, you can negotiate your terms. Mm-hmm. So you can have a 60 and 90 day close. That's going to give you time to get out there and look for those opportunities that we talked about. Um, and also, I think, I don't know, there's something about karma. When when you put things in motion, other things, other opportunities come for before sure. you. Mm-hmm. 
So for sellers, definitely it's a great time to take advantage and um, get, you know getting the most equity out of your home. But also look for the opportunities to get into your new home by looking for those properties that might have been on the market for seven, 10 days. There's definitely some great opportunity there. Um, and there are some um, places you can go as far as short-term rentals, if you have family members that you could stay with for short-term. Um, but I do work with, I have some sellers that I'm working with now, and that's they're considering those options just so they can take advantage of this market right now. Well, and, and that's that's the opportunity, right? Because you buy your home with a payment, and this is what a lot of people don't get. They always look at prices, and it's what what is your payment going to be? Mm-hmm. And what Stacy just said there, and we'll end on this, and then we're going to come back and talk about some some fees getting dropped on refinances from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is great. She's showing people what it's going to cost them. That is being the knowledge broker. That is a great example of showing people what it means instead of giving them some data or going through the motions. And that's what a great agent does. And that's what a great advisor does. So a lot of kudos to Stacey. So on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about an article that came out on philly.com from Mikhail Bond about a fee getting dropped from refinances that seems like some nonsense from the government. We're going to talk about it in a second. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. All right, all right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. And on our last segment here today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about an article that got published on the Inquirer uh, last week from Mikhail Bond. Great reporter over there, by the way. I've had the pleasure of talking to her on the phone, uh, doing a couple interviews. And This is something that people haven't been talking about, that there is a refinance fee that was assessed to um, any of the federally backed mortgages 
It's getting dropped on August 1st. So if you're thinking about refinancing, this is great news because we're only, what, four or five days away here? Yep. Uh, so the, the, the basis of the fee, it was a 0.5% fee, which took effect in December and was meant to cover projected losses due to the pandemic, adding $1,000 or more to the average cost of refinancing. And that was for any refinance loan backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And that is dropping off August 1st. I can't believe there hasn't been more press about this. So, so what do you think about this fee before we talked about the impact and, and everything else? I mean, I, I've got an opinion, but what do you think, Stacey? I didn't even know there was this fee. So it was kind <laughs> of like a secret, silent like maneuver, I guess, for, for to collect uh, some extra funds there um, under the cover of projected losses due to mm-hmm. the pandemic that may or may not happen. So I'm really glad that they're dropping this fee. I think it's gonna open the doors for some of the borrowers who um, couldn't get, because of this fee, they couldn't get the um, qualification necessary to refinance. So I think it's great, drop the fee, um, allow people to refinance so that they can save money and um, it's, it's gonna be much better for the consumer, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and if you look at what's going on with refinance, uh, dat- I mean, refinances have been down for, for the most part, mainly mm-hmm. because rates just got so low, mm-hmm. um, especially last year. And then this, this got instituted in December. The, 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 the challenge I have for this is that uh, Sandra Thompson, the agency's acting director, she said the elimination of the fee furthers FHFAs. That's the Federal Housing Finance Agency's priority of supporting affordable housing while simultaneously protecting the safety and soundness of the government-sponsored enterprises. I mean, I would have liked to charge a fee for mm-hmm. pandemic-related losses. I don't know about you. And, I mean, right. there, there was um, Greg McBride, who's the chief financial analyst at Bankrate, says it was ill-conceived, and they would, you know, uh, if you're refinancing a $300,000 loan, you lose 20 bucks a month in savings, he said. And, and the justification of the fee when it was sprung on the market was that it was necessary to pay for the cost of forbearance and pandemic-related payment relief incurred by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But the homeowners who got punished weren't the high-risk ones. They didn't need forbearance. They didn't need payment relief. And they were actually reducing their risk to the mortgage finance marketplace by reducing their rates and payments. So it's totally out of line with what Sandra Thompson says. They have a priority of supporting affordable housing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you know, it's on me for not knowing about it. I'm I'm sure a lot of our lenders did, but to me, this is just, it it doesn't pass the smell test. It's a bunch of nonsense and I'm putting it nicely. (laughs) Yeah, it is a bunch of nonsense. And that's that unintended consequences where it hurt the people that weren't high risk. So they were the ones that were either eliminated and couldn't qualify because of the extra fee um, or they were being charged the extra uh, $20 a month potentially, or they would lose that. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad to see this go. And um, But I would like to know where that extra fee has been going towards, really. Well, and, and it, it says here, and, and uh, you know, I would, Greg, Greg McBride, obviously, he's at Bank Rate, chief financial analyst, knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He says here that it was, that, they, that the justification was to pay for the cost of forbearance and payment relief. So basically, it was, hey, you're going to pay for the people who decided they don't want to pay their loans. And unfortunately, with forbearance, there's a lot of people that applied for it that didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And they just took advantage of the system, which is a bit of a challenge. So, I'm not saying that that's, you know, that, that there's some people that didn't, didn't need it. I mean, obviously there are, but 
I know for a fact there was there's a lot of data out there that people didn't need the forbearance and just said, hey, you know what, I'm going to stop working, I'm going to stop paying my bills, and that number's come down substantially. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. Now here's the silver lining. We just talked about how rates dropped below mm-hmm. 3%. So I do see a huge opportunity here for people that wanted to refi and were on like the edge of affordability. Mm-hmm. Rates have come down quarter, half a point, not, not quite a half a point, but like a quarter of a point. And 65% of mortgage applications last week were refinances, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. So if you were thinking about refinancing, I mean, this is a huge opportunity. Don't call your lender until April 1st or August 1st. Don't <laughs> right. call them until the 1st. Right. Huge opportunity to get savings because of that retreat with, with, with rates. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the one silver lining I do see here. Yes, definitely. If you haven't done it yet, definitely get your refinance in. Um, it, this might be the last opportunity to, to um, enjoy these low rates. So you definitely want to jump in, especially if they're alleviating this 0.5% fee. So again, August 1st, take advantage of it, refinance. Um, I think it's a great, great, great opportunity. Well, and, and, and this, the, you know, the, the, seeing this happen, uh, th- this tells us a couple things about what their outlook is for the market and for the economy post-pandemic, because if they weren't removing the charging of this fee, mm-hmm. that would tell me Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are nervous about the direction of the economy and, and, and an economic rebound, Correct. because rates are going to trend upward. And now th- there is a very good window of opportunity for people uh, because of where rates have come in, you know, that they have dropped. So this is good news for the economy in general that mm-hmm. you're seeing this pulled off. And right now, if you look at some of the data that's out there, uh, less than 2% of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans are in forbearance and there's continued home price appreciation. And again, we talked about who, who has what kind of equity in their homes. Um, according to um, House Canary, which is a valuation-focused real estate brokerage, um, they're saying 68% equity in current homes is the is the average nationwide and we've got the keeping current da- uh, matters data which says that you know again there there's been a 19.6% equity increase through the first quarter mm-hmm. the average equity in mortgage homes is $216,000 and 38.2% of homes have no mortgage at all so there is some there there is some good news here in in, in a lot of ways for those people that maybe want to refinance or want to lower their payments and it's good news for the economy. Yeah, definitely good news for the economy, that's for sure. But they're big numbers. You know, 65% of mortgage applications were re- last week were refinances. That's a big number. And the 68% equity in the homes, that's the national average. I mean, that's that's really positive, positive news. So I think for homeowners that haven't taken advantage of it, um, it's, it's going to be really, really meaningful to your household budget. So definitely... Get on board, take advantage of it, wait till August 1st, um, but you can definitely get into a lower rate that you probably won't have another opportunity to get into a rate this low. 100% agree there. So, I mean, this is, again, our obligation to get this this news out there. Mm -hmm. So, we got, what, uh, six, seven minutes left here. So, what does this mean for the market, right? Like, let's look at the outlook for the second half of the year. We're seeing a lot of these pandemic-related pieces of legislation falling by the wayside, so you're someone that's thinking about buying or selling, moving into the second half of the year. What's your advice to them when they say, hey, Stacy Mitchell, I want to buy and sell. What should I do? What's going on? 
Well, I would meet with them, sit them down, <laughs> and go over the whole process. So for them, I think it's a great opportunity. I, I really do. I think it's very positive for the market. Um, it shows that the market is strong, and it's going to continue to be strong. Um, so to me, I mean, that just pre- presents you know, hope and, and positivity. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if people have outgrown their home and want to get and they want to move up, definitely do it. Now is the time. You're going to get more house. Um, it's going to be more affordable monthly for you to get into that bigger home at this point. And for those downsizing, take advantage. Uh, sell that larger home that you have. Get out of it. Cash in on the equity and get into something smaller. You're going to enjoy the benefit of all the equity you um, acquired in your home. And uh, you're going to be able to get into something that you will have uh, less maintenance responsibility and you'll be able to enjoy and get a little bit more freedom. Well, and, and you have a great point there. And what this also means, too, is for the overall health of the economy. I think the people that are afraid this is going to be another housing bubble. This is going to be another mm. pop here. There's going to be another crash to come. You wouldn't see government agencies dropping away for them to insulate themselves and pad revenue because the pandemic was, was tough on a lot of folks. I mean, there, there, there's no question there. And you wouldn't see government agencies doing this if they didn't have confidence in the economy rebounding. We've already right. seen travel spending has been up. Fourth of July travel was only 2% off of 2019 levels. That's how a lot of people make money. I mean, you look at these vacation towns and shore towns. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest places uh, that, 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 that make money. One of their biggest earning seasons is in the summer. So, we're seeing that consumer spending's up. Um, we're seeing that people are going to restaurants again. So, I mean, the, all those, that discretionary spending is going to be beneficial for the economy. And the, the fact that rates have dropped to where they are, you know, this is the, this is the last chance. I'm clear this is going to be it. I don't see rates coming back down below 3% once they get above that. Right. There's a little bit of Delta variant scare right now. That's the market right. reaction. It happens every time, right? Yes. There, there's something that happens. So, to me, this is really good news for the economy. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried about the, the, the market going the other direction, we've seen demand is still there. Inventory's up a little bit. That's not a bad thing. It's going to help a lot of people find a home. And it's going to help the sellers that have been on defense about selling if inventory, uh, if and when inventory's bubbled up, which it already has. So all those things, plus the added, hey, my mortgage payment's going to be less and I can afford more. That's where a lot of the value is here. So I'm glad to see them eliminate this. Again, this, this is really good news overall for the economy. So, you know, as, as we head into the second half of the year, Stacey, I mean, we're already, you know, basically one month into to, to Q3. So w- when do you see mortgage rates going up? What are your predictions? Mm-hmm. Probably, I would say more towards the end of the year. Um, I think they're going to bump up again. Uh, it, it's definitely going to happen before the end of the year. I don't think in the next uh, couple of months, I think we'll still enjoy these super low rates. Um, but definitely before the end of the year, you're going to see that change. Well, I, I agree there. And, and so I pulled up some of the what the experts are saying because we're, we're, we're in agreement. But you look at um, a lot of experts that are out there. And I went to uh, Next Advisor, which partners with Time Magazine. So what they talk about is that, um, you know, so far this year, rates have increased roughly according to Freddie Mac, and they could creep a little higher. Um, And Realorder.com chief economist Danielle Hale says, as as the economic outlook strengthens, which is exactly what we're talking about here, 
Thanks to progress against COVID-19, vaccines, stimulus from the government, it pushes up expectations for growth in the economy and inflation, which is going to drive the long-term bond rates higher. And as long-term treasury bond rates, they're, they're, they're a key indicator for mortgage rates. The 10-year T-bill, T so the 10-year treasury yield, bottomed out last August in 2020 and has hovered between 1.5 and 1.7% since March. And rates have come back down a little bit while the bond yields have been rising since they were never properly priced during the crisis. So once we get back to that traditional relationship, we're going to see kind of a symbiotic relationship between bonds and mortgage rates. Um, and that, that comes from Housing Wire, uh, which is, again, like the mortgage expert. So when you see those long-term bond yields rise, it's going to drive mortgage rates higher. So that, that's what you want to look at if you're curious about when affordability is going to hit, when things are going to happen. So to me, that's going to be the, the, the lever that gets pulled here. And now that we get the economy working again, I'm clear we're going to see rates go up towards the end of the year as well. Um, because they, you know, we're also in like a slower season right now. Seasonally, this is when things slow down before that fall market rush mm -hmm. in September, October, November. So to me, this is, you got like four weeks of opportunity here if you're a buyer, four weeks of opportunity if you're trying to lock in that lower rate. Because I'm clear once Labor Day hits, we get into the school season, we're going to see rates jump up again. Mm -hmm. Agreement. All right. So on that note, what we're going to do here is uh, if you need to reach us, uh, email the show. It's info at tooltimeradio.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Tom Tool Sales Group. Stacy, how do people get in touch with you? <laughs> they can find me at, on Facebook and they can find me on Instagram at Mitchco2. I think it's 2 Mitchco. 2 Mitchco. Number 2. See, <laughs> yes, I, I should have done that. Two. That's great. We're yes. going to put that right in the video here. Stacy right doesn't know her Instagram handle. There so, it is. um there I am. At the number two Mitch Co on Instagram, I'm at TomTool3RD on Instagram. And again, we're with the TomTool sales group at REMAX Mainline. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM.